Good morning, guys. How you doing? Yeah, excited to be here. All right, let's take care of that. <laughs> you know, for the past two weeks, you guys have been learning very important things about uh, what the church in a mission looks like. Uh, Pastor West talks about the importance of our relationship with Jesus, and uh, Pastors Mark and Laura Shook talked about the importance about growing together. And, and uh, Pastor Mark made a reference at the end of uh, the service last week when he talked about a, a period of time in the history of the church that, in, in my view, is probably the most amazing part of the church uh, in the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2, where I don't know if you've read that chapter, uh, but at the end, I mean, it gives me chills just to think about a church that lives like that. You know, where they were spending time together all the time, sharing meals all the time, but also helping each other all the time. You know, some of them selling their possessions to give it to the church to take care of the needs of the people that need it the most. You know, and, and in, in a way, it also makes, it makes me feel a little bit guilty, you know, because that was a culture that was very poor, but they were all willing to share. And, and I don't know if you ever uh, asked yourself the questions, like, how could they do that? How could they be so generous? How could they live so, you know, give of what they had so freely? And I am convinced that the reason why they were able to live like that is because they had, you know, the, the disciples that had walked with Jesus, people that, that were taught directly from him, that was teaching them the things that he taught them. And one of the passages that I think that shows us uh, how these teachings must have impacted them completely, which is the passage we're going to study today, uh, it's the parable of, of the talents. Uh, it's a parable that I'm sure uh, you guys have read many times, probably studied many times. I'm hoping we're going to see it today in detail, and you might see a couple of things that you never thought about it before, or maybe you didn't understand before. Because there's, there's a part that is a little bit confusing. In order to um, understand something that you study in the Bible, you always need to understand the context. You know, why were these words spoken? Uh, the conversation that leads to this parable starts a chapter earlier, chapter 24. Uh, Jesus is walking by the temple with his disciples, and he tells them, one day this temple is going to be destroyed. There won't be a stone on top of another. And the disciples, the closer circle of Jesus, interprets this to be the end of times. So once they're by themselves, they ask him, you know, how, how do we know when these things will happen? And, and do you know when, you know, if possible, date and time, you know, they, they, they want to know exactly like many people do, you know. And, and Jesus, what he does is he first gives them a lot of signs so they won't be deceived. You know, so this is going to happen and this is going to happen and this is going to happen and don't let this deceive you. But then he says, but about the date and the time, no one knows. Only the Father, not even the angels or the Son, only the Father. And then he goes on to tell them first a, a parable of the, it's called the parable of the ten virgins, where five are wise and five are foolish. And the, the five wise ones are wise because they are prepared when the bridegroom shows up. So he tells them again, so be prepared. And, and, and I wondered if he saw a, a, a face of puzzlement and the disciples looking at each other like, well, what does that mean? Because you know? then he goes into a parable that explains it in detail, which is the parable of the talents. Okay? Uh, it's easy to remember 
you know, the importance of this parable if you divide it in three sections. We're going to divide it in three sections. The first one, we can call it God's possessions. Okay? Uh, let's start in verse 14. It's, it's Matthew 25, verse 14 and 15 says, For it will be like, and he's comparing there the kingdom of God. In the first part, it says the kingdom of God is like, and now he continues saying this, for it would be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Uh, it's important to notice that he calls them his servants. The word his in the Greek, it's the his of ownership. You know, he's saying my mind. You know, these were my servants. Actually, the word servants is dolos, which means bond slave. You know, these were the people that went broke in that society and went and sold themselves to work for someone else. So these guys, uh, the, the, the master purchased them to work for him. See, this parable is not going to make any sense unless you understand that you belong to Jesus, that you're his. The Bible says that he paid a very high price for your life. He paid with his life for yours, and now you belong to him. So these servants in the parable represent the people that understand that Christ died for you. So you belong to him. But then it says that he entrusted to them his property, which means the things that he gives them do not belong to them now. They belong to him. They're supposed to do something with it. Okay, uh, we understand by studying this parable that the, the Lord of the parable is a very rich man. You know, he's very wealthy. He's about to embark in a very long journey. We'll see later that he comes back after a long time. Journeys in those days were very long. Just to give you an idea, the wise men that came from the east to worship Jesus saw the star rise and started traveling towards Jerusalem. And they took to go from Iraq to Jerusalem two years. You can drive that distance today in 12 hours. But in those days, they were very long journeys. And usually, you know, it had to be done by wealthy people because it was dangerous to just embark on a journey. You had to go with a lot of people. It was a caravan with a lot of animals, you know, a lot of servants with you. You know, so this guy is going on a long journey. And, and if he was a, a wealthy man in that society, it meant he had a big piece of land, probably had been acquiring the lands of people that went broke, you know, like his servants, you know, and he's leaving. So, you know, the land needs to be worked. He probably had a lot of animals, so the animals had to be taken care of. You know, the, the, the offspring had to be taken care of and sold, you know, harvest and then sell the crop. There was a lot of work to be done. So he calls these three servants and he's entrusting them with part of his fortune so that they will continue the work. The amounts of money that they mentioned there are ridiculously large. To us, it doesn't sound like much because you hear five talents, two talents, one talent. Uh, a talent, the talent changed from the Old Testament to the New Testament. In the Old Testament was a measure of weight that you counterbalance, you know, in a scale. But by the time of the New Testament, it was the largest unit of currency. But just so you get an idea, one talent was approximately the salary of 20 years. So the one talent guy got 20 years, the second one 40, and the first one got 100 years worth of salary. Okay, so it's a lot of money. And just so this is clear, the rich man represents Jesus, and the time that these servants are there waiting for him to return represents the time that you and I find ourselves in today. But this is the thought that I want you to keep from this first section. 
I put this in your notes. Everything we have belongs to God, and it was entrusted to us to put it to work. Everything you have comes from him, but he gave it to you to work. He's leaving you here with a huge responsibility, but he gives you everything you need to fulfill it. He gives you the talents that you need to do it. You know, and this is something that it's important to keep in mind because when God leads you or sends you to do something, he always gives you the means to realize these plans. He, he provides for you, you know, always provides. And, and the living proof of that is just look around where you're sitting. You know, Pastor Mark was just mentioning, you know, 20 years ago, in two weeks, the, the church in Cancun turns 20. You know, w when we started this, you know, I mean, we had absolutely nothing. You know, the first church event that we celebrated in Cancun, we, we invited the church to, to Pastor Martin Laura's house to have lunch. We got 30 people, including children. And because, you know, they come from Baptist background, we counted the dogs and the cats as well, you know. But, you know, <laughs> you know but it's, it's like, and now look, look at this. You know, I remember that Mark said something to me that at the time didn't, I didn't understand. Because he said to me, we're starting something that unless God intervenes, is going to fail. But he did intervene. This is why we're sitting where we're sitting. So he gives talents, you know, five, two, and one. And he says, to each according to his ability. See, what this means is two things. First of all, this is not a parable where some servants got some talents and some didn't. His servants all get talents. Well, it, it, we always receive what, what he wants us, what, what he needs us to use in order to fulfill his plan. And talents, uh, in, in our day, you know, the word talent doesn't mean money. You know, when you say this person is very talented, you know, you're not talking about a rich person. Because talents represent everything that he gives you in order to fulfill his plan. Your intelligence, your natural abilities, your opportunities. You know, your ability to relate to people, to lead, to administer, everything that you have comes from God and it's a talent. But it says there, according to his ability. See, the Bible says that we were all created in his image, but we have different talents. Why? Because he has different plans for each one of us. See, and the problem is that a lot of people don't like the talents that they got. You know, they see somebody else shine with their talents and they wish they had those talents. If I could just sing like that guy or speak like that guy or, or evangelize like that guy or, or make money like that guy. Because making money is a gift from God. So a lot of people are hoping they're, they're going to get somebody else's gifts. But see, here's the thing. The only talents that you can use are the ones that God gave you. You can't use somebody else's talent. You know, a lot of people are stopped in their serving the Lord because they don't like the talents that they have. But you know, you know what you would do with your talent if he gave you the talent of somebody else? The same thing that you're doing today with your talents. You know, if you're using your talents right now, chances are you would be using those talents as well. But if you're not using your talents, what makes you think that you would be using that other one? You have to use the ones he gave you. But the wonderful thing about the talents is that when you use them, that's when you feel the happiest, the most satisfied, because that's what he gave them to you, to know that that's what he wants you to do. You do it well, and you enjoy doing it. He created you. He equipped you for his 
plan. And when we put all our talents to work together, incredible things happen. See, um, uh, after uh, pastors Mark and Laura moved back to the United States, came looking for that help that he mentioned, you know, um, I, I was a bivocational pastor. I was working full time and I was preaching on the weekends. And I started praying, said, Lord, give me the ability to make a lot of money so I can build this church. But he never gave me that, that gift. You know, and, and, and Corinne and I dreamed about the church and a building. We would sit down and make drawings. They never quite worked out our drawings, you know. And for some strange reason, there was a time in my life where I wanted the gift of being able to work with wood. You know, one time, this is a long time ago, uh, my mother-in-law had remarried and they came to visit us to Cancun. We were living in a very small apartment. We had to move to another apartment and the kitchen sink needed a furniture around it. And her husband was a professional carpenter and said, I'll build it. So we went to the store, but wood stuff, and I was his assistant. So he built this thing that was amazing in no time. And I thought, now I know, you know, (laughs) you know, like... A year later, we had to move again. They were lo- no longer in Cancun. So we had the same problem. I said to Karina, I'll build this. <laughs> Karina said, please hire someone. Like, no, no, no. I, I learned. I built that thing. The doors never closed. It was tilted. It was, it was a disaster, you know. But you know what happened with the church? When, when we put our talents to work, you know, I just kept doing what God gifted me with, which was teaching. And all of a sudden, people came to the church that not only had the gift of making money, but they have the gift of giving. It's weird, because everybody wants the one of making. But not everybody prays, give me the gift of giving. Because that doesn't have anything to do with the amount of money you make. It gives you a generous heart. And we, we got people that came and gave. You know, we had people that came and called us and said, I want to design your church. Pass me your dreams. I'll, I'll put them in paper and then we'll build them. And, and I hope one day you come and visit the church in Cancun and you see the amount of woodwork that it's done in our church. The crosses in the main room, you know, the welcome area, the children's welcome area. Everything is made out of wood built by volunteers that were carpenters, you know, that came and volunteered their work. So, see, when we put our talents to work, it's amazing what happens because then, you know, a a church that glorifies God serving, loving, and and, and generously giving of their talents, you know, creates things like this. And it happens with everything. So what's what's your ability? What's your talent? Are you good with kids? Are you good with youth? Are you good hugging people? Are you good praying for people? So that's your talent. Okay, so it's very important that you always remember who gave you what you have, because that will take care of your pride. And then to remember, why did he give it to you for? See, if you think about it, you know, the, the job that Jesus left for us before he left was go and make disciples of all nations, right? And, and you know, the, our most powerful tool to do that is the Bible, Studying the Bible and understanding the teachings of Jesus Christ. Understanding who God is and who are we in relation to him. So that means that every time that you come here and listen to a sermon. Or go to a small group and do a Bible study. Or read your Bible. God is giving you more talents to spread the gospel. You are receiving talents as we speak right now. 
Now let's see what happened to these three guys. Verse 16 says, he who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. So first thing I want you to notice, it says they went at once. You know, the moment that they realized that they had talents, they immediately went and it says traded with them. The word is eragasto, you know, it comes from ergos, which means work. Eragasto literally means put to work. So these guys went immediately and put this to work. And what happens? They doubled the investment God had made in them. They came up with double, okay? Verse 18 says, but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. It's very interesting that it was the guy that only got one talent who got angry and hid his talent. It's so, so often what happens in life, you know? But see, this guy, it says, buried his talent. What do you think that means? Does it mean that he sat down and watched the wall until his master came back because there were no TVs, you know, so he had to watch something, you know? Did he just sat down and do nothing? Obviously, that's not the case because the master took a long time to come back, which means this guy went to work, you know, did whatever he needed to do in order to eat, to get dressed, to drink and stuff, but he did not use his talent, which means he refused to work for the gain of his master. He forgot about his master. He just concerned himself with himself. I'm going to use what I have to feed myself. The talent will be buried away. Okay. I believe this is a warning from Jesus to the people that believes that they can be Christians as spectators. That they think that they can just come and receive and that's enough. And listen, I know that this is a process. Okay. Some people start coming to church, hear the gospel for the first time. They don't even understand what this is about. And it takes time for them to understand that they are going to be called to serve. There are some people that come here and they are so hurt. Their heart is so hurt that it takes time for your heart to heal, to be filled with the love of God, to understand how many other people are hurting. And then you start helping. But if you continue on your spiritual journey, listen to me. The day is going to come when he's going to call you to serve and you have to answer at once. You have to take action immediately because we're going to get into the next two sections, which are going to open our eyes to things. Second section we can call God's judgment. You know, verse 19 says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. The reason why I believe that the people in our society are living the way they're living life today, I don't know about you, I'm shocked. I cannot believe the extreme to where we're going to live life completely against what the Bible teaches. And I am convinced that the reason why these people are living that way is because they are trying to ignore the fact that one day he's coming back. You know, this is the the thought that I want you to take from this section. One day Jesus will return and settle accounts with us. One day he's going to come back and he's going to ask you, what did you do with what I gave you? God in person is going to say, hey, first I gave you my son. You know, God so loved the world that he gave us his son. And he's going to say, what did you do with him? Did you receive him? Did Did you 
took him as your savior and worshiped him and served him? But the second question is, what did you do with the talents that I gave you? You know, what, what did you do with everything that I gave you to work? See, uh, if our task is to make disciples, see, that question in part is going to mean how many people, because of you putting your talents to work, know me? How much did you let your, that light that I put inside of you, how much did you let it shine in a way that led other people to know me? And, and listen, uh, I am not saying that every person needs to become a career missionary or you need to at some point quit your secular job and start working for the church. Some of you are going to be called exactly for that. And, and you might be sitting there thinking, oh, don't ask me, eh? I'm not interested. I'm not going to ask you. God's going to ask you if he wants you to do it. But even if he never asks you to serve him in that capacity, what he wants you is to be a light wherever you are. So where are you? Are you at school? Are you at work? You know, your hobbies, your friends? You know, that's where you have to be a light. And in that moment, you know, you have to respond immediately because Jesus has already told us, we don't know when he's going to come back. You know, it's interesting that uh, Pastor Mark said last week, a lot of people are wondering if we're coming close to the end of times. You don't know, it can be tonight. It can be in the middle of the day. And when he does, he's going to settle accounts. And then, the third section, there comes a verdict, God's verdict. Verses 20 to 23 says this. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents here. I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you, set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. See, um, when, I, when I read this parable and studied it the first time, I realized how um, here on earth, we always do things you know, in, in, in every area of life that where we set like goal lines to try to motivate us. You know, when you go to school, you're looking forward to graduation, right? I mean, you, you want to finish school, graduate, and finally go into the world. You know, when you enter a company, you, you want to climb up the ladder, you know, to get to management or, or become a director. Now, you, there are things that you look forward you know, I was a, a Boy Scout when I, was, when I was young, and, you know, you look forward to keep climbing until you become an Eagle Scout, you know, and at Taekwondo, you eventually want to get to Black Belt, you know, and then you get to those places and you realize that nothing really changes, right? But see, what, what we're reading in this parable is that one day we're going to enter into heaven and no earthly graduation of entrance into any, you know, exclusive club on earth is going to come close to what we're going to experience when we enter heaven. The Bible says that no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. And I can guarantee you that the most beautiful words that you could ever hear in your existence are the words that these guys heard. Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little, I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. 
See, there's interesting things about that also. First of all, I want you to notice that the quality that God praises is faithfulness. Did you see? You were faithful with what I gave you. You were faithful with little. So I'm going to give you a lot because you have proved yourself faithful. Now, it's interesting that he said you were faithful over a little. One guy got a hundred years salary and Jesus says, that's very little. That means that whatever you do here on earth, doesn't matter how rich you become compared to what you're going to experience in heaven, it's nothing. Okay? And then it says, I will set you over much. That's a sneak peek into heaven. A lot of people wonder, what are we going to be doing when we're in eternity? You know, what, what's going to happen there? Because you know? this thing of going in diapers, playing harps among the clouds, that doesn't sound like fun to me. You know? But here he's saying, I'm going to set you over much. See, here on earth, I gave you very few responsibilities. In heaven, I'm going to give you a lot. And if you're thinking right now, you mean we're going to heaven and we are still going to have to work? Remember the last line. It says, enter into the joy of your master. See, there are situations when, when, here on earth that sometimes you get to a situation in your work where you love what you do. You know, we're right now, we were just talking about it with our staff in Cancun uh, a few months ago, how we're at that point where everybody's excellent in the picture and you say, don't move, you know, because the staff right now gets along so well. We love working together with each other and, and, and working for a church is hard. You know, like, like uh, Pastor Laura was saying last week, church would be beautiful if it only didn't have people, you know, it's hard and, and we enjoy it. So if we can enjoy working in this imperfect world, can you imagine when we're in a perfect environment when no one will speak bad about you in your back or backstab you or, or, or make you feel bad or, you know, humiliate where, where everything is perfect? This is what he's saying, enter into the joy of your master. But I want you also to be aware of the fact that the two first guys heard exactly the same words. Did you notice that? He said exactly the same to both, which means it's not about how many talents you produce. It's about whether you put your talents to work or not. Now, the third guy didn't do that. Verse 24 says, He also, who had received the one talent, came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, you have what is yours. But his master answered him, you wicked and slothful servant. You knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers. And at my coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. See, if you pay attention to the words of this third servant, you can tell immediately that he doesn't really know his master. He says, did you reap what you did not sow? Didn't he give him also a talent? Didn't he give him the same opportunity and the same length of time to use that talent? You know, and, and it's very interesting that Jesus used the word saw and scatter because he's talking about the, the, the parable of the, of the sower. He says, I did give you a seed. I did give you my word. I did give you something to work with. But this guy says, no, 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 I know you were hard, so I was afraid. That's why I buried it. This guy is, is lying. That is just an excuse. We'll see in a minute how it's just an excuse. 
But the interesting thing is that God, instead of confronting his lie, uses his lie against him. Because when he says, no, you, 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 you didn't sow, you know, he didn't answer like, what do you mean I didn't sow? Didn't I give you a talent? He doesn't say that. What he says is like, really? You were afraid? Why didn't you invest in a safe place? Even if the bank would have given me a tiny bit of interest back, I would have earned some return. Why didn't you do that? What does that mean to us? You know, for us today, what does it mean? See, we're supposed to be disseminating the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's our task. Make disciples of all people. Maybe you are afraid to share your faith out in the world. So where could you invest it safely? You know where it's very safe to talk about Jesus? Here, in church. Everyone that comes in knows you're going to talk about Jesus. You know, if, if adults intimidate you, go serve with the babies. They're very easy. You just put them down when you want, you know. Do something, you know, in, at the church. You realize that every person that is working, and, and there's hundreds of people that are working right now, today, that you don't even see. You never see them face to face and they're doing something. They're putting a talent to work and whatever souls are saved in part are going to be accounted to them because they're putting their talents to work. But the reality, you know, is that Jesus is going to reveal the true reason because he calls him you wicked and slothful servant. The truth is this guy was lazy, but a specific type of laziness. He was lazy to put his talents to work for the return to his master. He wasn't lazy to work for himself. He was lazy spiritually. See, a lot of people uh, get surprised with this parable because they are, are surprised at how angry the master gets, not because the guy did something wrong, but because he didn't do anything. But the reality is that Jesus is telling us, no, 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 no. This guy was spiritually lazy, and spiritual laziness is a very serious sin. You know, the church fathers consider slothfulness, laziness, a capital sin. You know what those are? You know, some people think that capital sins are like the worst sins. There are no different sins. Capital sins are sins that when you get trapped by them, those sins produce other sins. You know, laziness, pride, greed, envy, gluttony, you know, those sins will produce other sins, okay? And, and here comes, see, these last two verses, to a lot of people are confusing and very surprising. This is hard to swallow. So we need a little bit of the Holy Spirit in your heart right now. Verses 28 to 30 says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he uh, will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away and cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness, in that place where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. See, a lot of people are surprised that this guy gets an eternal consequence. Because there's absolutely no doubt about the fact that when, when Jesus mentions the, the outer darkness, he's talking about hell, okay? And furthermore, he's trying to describe to us what is the worst part about going to hell. This is not so much the, the symbols that the Bible gives us about fire and stuff, but the lack of light. Just cast him into the darkness, 
God is going to be absent, so there is not going to be any light whatsoever. See, the Bible says that everything good in your life comes from God. So peace, joy, you know, rest, you know, all those things come from God. What happens if God is not there? I don't know if you have experienced this, and I think I've shared this with you in the past, but it's a very good example. You know, especially in the last few years since our boys lost their sight, there are some times that in the middle of the night, I half wake up, and that's the problem. I'm not awake. I'm half awake and half asleep. And in those moments, the worst scenarios of what can happen in the future start coming to my head. And I start feeling like, what if this happens? And they're going to be left on their own, and I'm not going to be able to help them. And I start feeling like I suffocate, and I just feel the darkness close on me, and I am desperate, and I wake up like... <gasps> And at that moment, when I'm fully awake, I immediately realize what is happening, and I reach out to God. And I start thanking Him, thanking Him. They're healthy otherwise. You know, you have always provided for us. You're, we have surrounded, you know, you have surrounded us with a family that loves us and would be there no matter what. Your mercies will renew in the morning, and I feel peace and go back to sleep. What happens if you feel like that, but you can't reach out to God? That's hell. Completely separated from the presence of God. Okay? Um, now, the, the confusion for a lot of people in this passage is that if you don't read it correctly, you're going to think that what Jesus is saying is, so because you didn't work, you're going to hell. And people are going to say, like, wait a minute, I thought you have said it was by faith, not by works. And that's absolutely true. See, the Bible, there is no doubt, it's very clear, it says it is by grace through faith, not by your works, so no one can boast. So you cannot earn your entrance to heaven. So what is Jesus saying? What Jesus is saying is, it is impossible for a person that has a regenerated heart not to fill himself full so much with love that that love is going to overflow in love towards others and, and, and he's going to want to try and bring them close so that they can experience the same thing and follow God. That's what it means. And, and, and listen to this because this is very interesting. Had it ever confused you that it says, to everyone who has will more be given but to he who doesn't have, even what he has will be taken away? Is that confusing? To him who has what? And, and the second one, if he has, you know, what, what do you mean? To him who has, even what he has will be taken because he doesn't have. What is he talking about? What do the first two guys have that the last one doesn't have? Return for his master. The Bible calls it fruit. The first two produce a result for the gain of the Lord. The last one did not. So he's saying those who have results, more will be given. Those who don't, even what they have will be taken away. You know, those who bear fruit. See, in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus is talking about fruit and he says, it's impossible for a good tree to bear bad fruit and for a bad tree to bear good fruit. And then he says these words, Matthew 7, verses 19 and 20. Every tree that does not bear good fruit, it's cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, you will recognize them by their fruit. 
By their fruit, you will know them. You will know who? His disciples. By their fruit. How do you know when a tree bears fruit? It is not a trick question. How do you know? When you see the fruit, no? I mean, Karina and I, when we first moved into the house where we live, we planted a lemon tree. And for the first four years, it didn't give anything. I told her, are you sure this is a lemon tree? This is not just a bush from, you know. And then one day a lemon came out and was like, oh, it's a lemon tree. So you know the disciples when they bear fruit. So what is Jesus telling us? And this is the last thought I want you to keep in mind. The fruit is the proof of our salvation. Not the means. It's not by working that you're saved. But when you're saved, you bear fruit. According to the Bible, fruit means two things. First, what happens in your heart? You know, the fruit of the Spirit. Read Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. And you're going to see that a, a person that starts bearing fruits, a person that is capable of loving, even when people do not deserve being loved, uh, are people that feel joy, even in the midst of hard circumstances, feel peace, even in the middle of the storm, you know, feel patience, even if they're in line in the DMV, you know, like they have these characteristics that start shining. When you have self-control, when you're a humble person, when you're a kind person with everyone around you, the people around you see that light and they want to know where it comes from. And then when you show them where it comes from and they go there and God gains another heart because of your light, that's the other fruit. One is in your heart. The other one is the harvest around you, the people around you. When you show them the gospel or lead them to church or do anything in order for them to know God. So the question is, are you allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your heart? Because you have to let him. In order for your heart to be regenerated, you have to allow him by opening your heart to him and and asking him, show me what I need to change and help me change it. Have you felt the call to work, to serve? I mean, are you aware of the thousands of ways in which you could be putting your talents to work in order to gain some people to God? You know, one of the most amazing ministries that's happening right now in Cancun is our jail ministry. We have a group of women that visit the women's jail every week. And right now, we have a branch of our church inside the jail. I mean, they have services. They have welcome team. You know, they have a worship team, and they see the sermons. Last Saturday, our executive pastor went and baptized 21 women inside the jail. And you know what these women do? They have to work. Because they don't give them things. In jail, if you're in Mexico, they don't give you soap. They don't give you shampoo. They don't give you anything. So they have to work there, you know, making handcrafts or, or they have a little cafeteria. And this woman from jail ties to our church. So do you realize that every person saved thanks to the work of community of faith? You know, those women will be accounted for their talents being used towards that, even if what they send is 50 cents. They're doing something. Listen, um, God created you in his image. And he's a faithful God. And he's a generous God. So when you are more like him, is when you are faithful. And you are generous with what he gave you to put to work. That is a life well lived. I know um, 
there were parts of this message that are, are hard. You know, and, and, and you probably arrive here very happy and you're wondering, why did he preach that part, you know? You know why? Because if you're hearing these words, it means you're alive and you're still on time. If you feel the call to serve him, act at once. Because my prayer is that each one of us, you know, everyone that hears your words, when we get to heaven, will hear those beautiful words. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your master. And I hope that's you. Let's pray. Father, um, we cannot thank you enough for what your son Jesus Christ did for us. The only way that we can respond when we understand it is with flowing with love towards the people around us and being faithful by putting our talents to work. Uh, I would like to pray right now, Father, for any person that is hearing my words that doesn't know you, that you will reach out and pull his heart and allow him to give you a try and say, please, Lord, I need you. And for all of us that we already have you in our hearts, thank you, Father, for all those who are working. And please call the rest to action. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.